0: Again, we welcome you to this gathering hosted by the Bible and Spiritual Life community. The topic of today's discussion is studying the Bible today, what is working well, and what could work better with the Gospel of Matthew as a case study. Richard Davenport will be moderating our discussion this evening, and Dr. Jamie Clark-Souls is our guest. Before we begin the dialogue, let's learn a little bit more about our guest for those of you who might not be familiar with Ms. Clark-Souls. Jamie Clark-Souls is a New Testament professor at Perkins School of Theology at Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. Jamie is an ordained American Baptist minister, as well as a widely acknowledged authority on John and the New Testament. She has published widely in both church publications, on her blog, in major academic journals, and in several books. She is a sought-after speaker who bridges her scholarship, with heartfelt pastoral concerns. She also has a keen awareness of contemporary culture and life and its intersection with spirituality. Jamie offered both a pre-conference workshop and was the keynote presenter at the 2015 Asilomar Bible and Spiritual Life Conference. She has been very appreciative and keenly insightful regarding our community, and the community has responded with great warmth towards her. We are so pleased to have Miss Jamie Clark-Soulson... And on that note, I'll turn this over to Richard.
1: Thanks, Amy Lynn, and thanks all of you for joining us across the country tonight. Uh, This is uh, a wonderful opportunity, and, Jamie, thank you for being here.
2: Well, thanks for having me. That was quite an introduction.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I kind of wanted to open up with a couple questions here, and then we'll uh, invite our our attendees to to ask their own. But part of it was trying to paint a backdrop for this, and Mm -hmm. um, probably this comes out of our own community here. We have a number of um, people involved right now with the Parliament of World Religions that's concluding its uh, conference in Salt Lake City. Some have been presenting there. And it seems like um, there's something happening today uh, about finding... um, more common ground in the human search for meaning. And I know you've just uh, published on patheos.com, uh, a website, by the way, we would recommend to uh, all listeners, P-A-T-H-E-O-S.com. com. Um, you've just published uh, a little piece called My Religion Better Than Yours. Do um, you want to talk a little bit about what you see maybe in a macro way about... Uh, the the common search and yearning that you're seeing among people today and um, without dismissing distinctiveness, certainly a a bridge building where it's happening?
2: Um, Yeah, sure. So I live, uh, if if the essay, people can read the essay um, on their own time, so I won't repeat it, but um, I live, and I know with a couple people on the call also in the Dallas area. We live in a a highly diverse area, Uh, culture out here in the Metroplex area um, where we run in daily to people from other ethnicities, cultures, races, but also religions. We have a very high Muslim population as well. Um, Anyway, we're also in Texas, uh, which has its own certain kind of culture. Um, So in the midst of kind of this beautiful, wonderful diversity that we all get to be a part of, there's also um, uh, maybe some narrow-mindedness Uh, that is leading to uh, some behavior that's not particularly neighborly, Um, and I get particularly concerned when that behavior comes from Christians. So anyway, um, I think there's a lot of spirit around where um, folks are looking to build bridges, so not just across denominations, which has already been challenging, but I've seen great, wonderful movement in that direction, but now, even expanding out further across religious traditions, um, so I think there's a hunger for community, for connection, um, really for for understanding that we can't be human by ourselves. We need each other. So that's what I'm seeing.
1: Well, let's um, let's take that into um, maybe your thoughts about how we do Bible study. Uh And our case study tonight is a course you're currently teaching on Matthew. Right. Um, The the community here is publishing our 12th um, study guide uh, in early 2016, and it is on Matthew. It's it's also going to be the fourth gospel that we've done, so we'll have all four gospels included in that. And um, I wonder how you could um, discern a little bit how and why Matthew has been so important uh, in Christian history for the teaching of the Gospel, maybe sure. more so for the teaching method, the Sunday school lessons and everything else than uh, maybe any other Gospel.
2: Right, that's true. And let me begin by saying I absolutely love your mission statement, and I really appreciated Amy Lynn reading it. At the beginning, That the mission statement sounds like a group of people who have been spending a lot of time in the Gospel of Matthew, I mean, really, I can't recite it, but whatever she was, there were four different points to it, and I was just thinking, yep, that's Matthew, yep, that's Matthew, um, as she read it. So, uh, so really, congratulations on a, a brilliant mission statement. Um, so, yes, so I'm going to try not, and, and feel free to interrupt me, Richard, because you have known me long enough to know that I will just get going on a biblical text and never stop. So just interrupt, it is not rude, just interrupt. Um, so yeah, we are immersed in the Gospel of Matthew. We spend three hours on a Friday night and seven hours on a Saturday <laughs> together doing this. So we're um, trying a new a new way of studying, so we're intensely into it. But Matthew um, is important for a lot of reasons, but I'll narrow it down for the purposes of our conversation to these two points for conversation. We can expand upon it. Um, first, the, the Gospel of Matthew, I'm sure many people know this, um, is the only Gospel to use the word church, so ekklesia. Um, so from the very beginning it's been uh, one of the Church's favorite Gospels, in part because of the Sermon on the Mount that I think we'll talk more about a little later, but it really lends itself to practical application in a way that some other Gospels um, may be more difficult to do. So. Uh, The two things I see going on in Matthew at the very least, one, Matthew teaches us what the kingdom of God looks like and how to go about participating in that. Um, And we can expand on that. Um, And then the second point I would make, right, so the Gospel of Matthew, and I know you all get ready to study this, but it opens with naming Jesus Emmanuel. Only in Matthew is Jesus named Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the Gospel closes out at the very end with Jesus declaring, Lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. So the notion of God with us, the Gospel of Matthew, I think, paints a beautiful, beautiful, challenging, <laughs> convicting, comforting picture of what exactly it means. What does it look like to have God with us? And at least in part it has to do with preaching, teaching, healing, and serving. So yeah, it's the practical application. I think people get it. It's just pretty straightforward. <laughs> Go the second mile, turn the other cheek. You know, love your enemies,
1: pray for those who persecute you. Well, let's let's um, drill down as we, uh, as you mentioned, in, in a little bit to that part of Matthew. Probably it's the most famous sermon uh, in the Bible. I think mm-hmm. is the Sermon on the Mount, um, and it is going to be the theme. For our community in 2016, we're going to be doing quite a bit around um, why is that so important and considered to be uh, sufficient in itself for uh, Christian study and and worship and and discipleship. But maybe with all this emphasis on God with us and and the talk about that, why do we struggle with the walk? Uh, What's the challenge here in making... um, our, our common father, uh, we're all brothers and sisters. Why do we have a hard time practicing that uh, message of uh, the kingdom and uh, of the Sermon on the Mount? What, what, what do you think is are some of the challenges to doing that?
2: Um, well, that, that's where I would love to hear from the... Uh, I'm certainly no expert on that. I would love to hear from the rest of the group. But uh, with respect to Matthew, um, I think... We have a tendency um, to spiritualize the text. Um, so, I mean, we could, we could talk about it in detail, but you know, just take the Beatitudes themselves, blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, the way we tend to interpret that is very personal, very pietistic, and very spiritualized. Uh, instead of reaching outward to, to neighbor, um, and, again, building bridges and relationships. So I think part of the problem with uh, putting it into practice um, is we have really been taught that what the Beatitudes, what the Sermon on the Mount is about, is our personal piety, just me, Jamie, me, Jamie uh, along with Jesus. Um, and the second um, is I think there has been an emphasis. We, we emphasize, I think, beliefs sometimes more than action, you know, we get in our heads a lot that if we can figure things out doctrinally or get the nugget of, um, of philosophical truth that we have somehow um, committed an act of faith. Um, and Matthew, I think unlike any other gospel really, even John, which we all know is my, my baby, um, Matthew doesn't really have a lot of interest in what you think or what you believe. He really is only interested in what you do. Um, and so I think that's really challenging because it's um he's i 'll put it this way he 's very demanding, lots of mercy in there, but high demand for what it means what it means to be a christian a uh, disciple of jesus so and I think demanding is hard <laughs> it is for me
1: well is, isn't it kind of a, often been a <clears throat> suggestion that christian history has has done much better to come up with ideas? Yes. <laughs> out, Jesus. Right. Uh, broad spread, uh, um demonstrations of what it means to actually follow him and to share his life.
2: Yeah, I mean, and even, I think we even do the same thing with what we would call ecclesiology, right, the big word for what does it mean to be and do church. You know, I think we can all sit around and, and sign various statements and ecumenical statements, et cetera, but you read Matthew 18 and it says this, church is messy. And guess what? You're going to have to forgive. How many times? Seven. Seven, no, seven. You know, seven times seven or seventy times seven, depending on your your translation. Um, and so, even in chapter 18, it assumes that whatever kingdom of God is about, and whatever God with us is about, it's about coming together, kind of like we're doing here. It's not about you, your Bible, and Jesus. It's about the community. Everything's about the community, and not just this one, but the community being formed in a certain way to go and transform the world to make it on earth as it is in heaven, not Someday we'll fling up to heaven. Won't that be fun? But no, if we pray that God helps us, if we pray for it to be on earth as it is in heaven, that's a great prayer. And then Matthew says, you know, with Jesus in there, you know, done. Here's the Holy Spirit. Here's everything you need to know. Read this gospel. Here's everything you need to know. Go and do it. Make disciples of all nations. So chapter 18, I think, just shows how messy community is. And I think we get turned off by that, too you know, going to church and getting too involved in each other's lives, because it gets messy, and you will for sure hurt each other, absolutely, which is why Matthew has built in, here's what you do, take one person. If that doesn't work, go back and take two, etc. cetera. It's very practical applications. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think you're exactly right. We're prone to having good ideas, and I let you have your ideas, and I sit over here with my ideas, and it's nice, but I don't think it's transformative until we get down to the digging in and where it gets yeah vulnerable and even painful
1: well let's um let's make that uh that keen insight uh, demonstrated now and invite the rest of the community to come in here and uh and ask their questions um of you we're just going to invite you to um uh, uh, ask Jamie what's uh what are your thoughts about um your questions in particular, about uh, this idea of um, how Matthew's uh, gospel in particular, since that's our case illustration tonight, um, how that could work better for our sense of community uh, and our own individual practice rather than just profession. Um, Any particular questions out there about Matthew? I I hope I didn't make that sound too narrow. Uh, I just want to make sure we we do keep looking at this issue of how we do Bible study, what works well for it, and what gets uh-huh. in the way of it.
3: Mhm. Uh-huh. can you hear me? Sure. Okay. This is Chestnut. And Jamie, uh, I got I got to uh, meet you and hear you um, two summers ago at the oh, nice. Zillamar. Here's my question about. Um, about Matthew, it is actually specifically Matthew 18, and I w- am so grateful you just brought that up. <laughs> um, when I have, uh, I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about the sec- different sections in Matthew 18 and how to um, live them and help my staff live them when I um, was an administrator at Principia. And one of the things that was a little um thought stirring for me was, as I poked around, the scholars were uh, often had the position that Jesus did not speak um, uh, parts of eighteen, for example, what um, the idea of if you have something uh, against your your neighbor, go and talk to them and and if that doesn't work, take another person with you. That 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 and the um, mention of church mm-hmm. that that didn't it didn't feel to some scholars like that was in the original text. Can you put that in um, perspective? And if there's any new scholarship or just how you think about that?
2: Sure. Um, so what we try to do in the classroom is um, the students are always asked to keep three levels uh, in mind at once, which is very tricky. Um, But to keep, first of all, the level of Jesus back in around 30 CE, when the actual historical Jesus was walking around uh, on earth. Um, um, So the the world, what we call the world behind the text. Second, the world within the text, and that is, right, we have Matthew starting at 1-1 to the end of 28. So this person, Matthew, puts this gospel together in an intentional way, um, in, in an artful way, I would argue. Um, and so we have to pay attention to what Matthew is doing. And then thirdly, of course, we have to pay attention to what we call the world in front of the text, our world. How do we interpret this text, um, you know, for the sake of God and the world, etc. cetera. So um, what happens sometimes, I'm not sure if this is the conversation you're referencing, um, But, so the quest for the historical Jesus, uh, folks who are, some folks are trying to separate out kind of what's Matthew and what's Jesus.
3: That's the short answer
2: to that, right? Which things, is Matthew Matthew putting these words into Jesus' mouth? Um, So there's lots to say about that, but the two comments I would make is, first of all, um, I would never derogate that investigation. I know it's fascinating to lots of people. And of course, we're, we are people um, for whom history matters because we think God works in history. Um, so I think it's appropriate for people to you know try to figure out what was the historical Jesus like. Um, the fact of the matter is we have nothing from the historical Jesus, right? So Jesus didn't write anything. Um, so all we actually have in terms of figuring out who Jesus is, what he said, are the Gospels. So to some degree, I understand, and I actually participate in a group that that does the quest for the historical Jesus with respect to the Gospel of John. But when it comes to matters of faith, I don't, um, you know, what we've got is the Jesus here in Matthew. So um, it's in our canon; it is scripture. The Church has declared it scripture. So, so, um, so in terms of, I, I understand that quest. I guess that's what I would say. But. Um, I don't want want my students to get so fixated on trying to reconstruct what the historical Jesus said that they don't actually um, allow God and the risen Christ to speak through the text. In other words, the text itself is revelatory, in my view, the same way that Jesus was revelatory when he was walking around in 30 CE. The text for us is doing the same thing Jesus was doing for those disciples. Um, So... Yeah, I don't see how you would prove that Jesus did or didn't say it, honestly.
3: Right, and so in the context of the world within the text, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, Matthew's world. Exactly, which is is what we've got, yeah. Yeah, why why did did these sections come out in Matthew?
2: What do you mean, why did they come out?
3: Um, What about Matthew would be um, his world? needed these kinds of texts about how we relate to each other in church.
2: Oh, yeah. Um well, I think because oh, he's got a he's got the same problem we have. <laughs> he's got people in his church and um and people with I think really different backgrounds and expectations. So, um I think people trying to um trying to have a group identity um, in a larger host culture, right? It's always been—it's tri- always tricky to be Christian in any host culture worldwide in any century, right? What makes us us? What makes Christians um, Christians? And so, how, and how do we do community? So, and he's—I think—trying to figure out. He's got at least a bilingual, if not a trilingual, community of folks from mixed ethnicities and religious backgrounds: some Jewish, some Gentile. Um, so he's trying to do what we're trying to do, and that is bring a motley crew of people together um to figure out what it means for God to be with us and figure out what it means for us in terms of um you know showing God's love to the world. Is that what you're asking? Am I am I getting at what you're asking or yeah. not? Yeah, you did great. Oh, okay. Thank if you. If I'm not, please please feel free to rephrase it if I'm if I get off the thing. But yeah, he's got a he's got a mess on his hands, but I think it's a holy mess. So there's that.
1: <laughs> That's great. Good questions, Chestnut, and and this Mm -hmm. is really pertinent because this idea of how we actually practice what we sometimes refer to as a Matthew code of how to handle issues is something we often um, love to tell young people what they need to do and often fail to do ourselves.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's hard. I don't think – I think a lot of churches don't do it, especially – I don't know how it is – in your communities, but I imagine it's like this because I know there are numerous Christian Science churches just here in Dallas. So, what happens a lot of times? People get their feelings hurt, or something doesn't go their way. They just go to another church. So, <laughs> they just leave the community um, instead of um, both allowing other people to hold to hold them accountable. I'll just you know, we chapter in a way, right? When we join church, if you're going to be a Matthews church. First of all, I I never really understand why people are always upset. They're like, I didn't expect to get hurt at church. Church is the one place. I mean, the world, I deal with all this stuff already at work and in my family. I want church to be the one place where everything is just peaceful and, you know, copacetic or or whatever. And and I'm kind of like, have you read the Bible? Have you read anything about the very beginning of the church all the way till now? Show me the church where, what century, what place on this globe have you ever seen a church that did not have conflict, and I actually think it's incredibly joyful. I don't think it's – it doesn't make me feel pessimistic or depressed at all that Matthew in, in Chapter 18 just assumes that we're going to hurt each other and we are going to need some way um, to do forgiveness, you know, some way that's not just like, I'm out of here and you can't tell me what to do. So so the, I think the notion of um, – I don't know. You can, you all could tell me how it is in your community, but, I mean, I, our – The community I'm in right now does, you know, does, is trying. I mean, does a reasonable job of this. I just witnessed something incredibly beautiful and holy, um, watching some reconciliation happen in the community after some terrible wounding. Um, And I was really, really moved um, and challenged. You know, I had to ask myself, do I allow allow myself to just be who I really am? And once I've done that... (laughs) Do I allow people to kind of push back a little and say, we love this about you, but when you said that the other day, you might not have realized that you kind of really set something rolling that you probably didn't want to. Do I allow that, or do I get all huffy and say, I don't know who you think you are. Well, who they are is my church family. Otherwise, why go there? Um, It's just formal, and it's not real community. It is not authentic community if you don't have a system for dealing with hurts, you know.
1: Great. Other, other questions for Jamie?
2: Well, they're really this talking. We're over at a philomar. <laughs> yeah, <this is laughs> at a philomar,
4: they just talk until midnight. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think the problem is, this is Mary calling. Uh, I, I like, I'd I like to talk about Matthew 18, too, but... Um, because i feel like the solution in a sense is always going to be relating to forgiveness as a mm. you know as a major um uh, goal uh for us for each of us but but what i find with myself is uh i don't i don't i'm probably so pacifistic so non-aggressive that i don't find myself getting upset by people or or feeling that my feelings are hurt i kind of like let them have their their way of looking at something, and I mm-hmm. can have my way of looking at something. But I'm not sure that's really productive. I mean, that just kind of, that's almost like backing away from, I mean, the opposite of that is, well, we've got standards, and we've got to keep our standards, you know. Uh, and I'm not sure that either of those is correct.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah and I what do you mean by standards? Like, what would be an example? Well,
4: I mean, I'm talking about um, those those in our membership, and I've sometimes, not recently, but I have a, in, encountered people who feel very strongly that something or other is not in accord with Christianity or not in accord with our, oh. you know, our fundamental things, and therefore they're going to take their stand and they're going to, oh, yeah. you know, see that this stops. And, mm-hmm. and I never feel that way. I, I just feel a lot more loose about it. Um, probably too loose. I don't know. I don't think there is such a I, thing. Yeah, I'm
2: with you on that. Yeah, absolutely. I don't. I would never say I would hold myself accountable in a way that. You know, somebody would impose. A, this may also may be a difference in um, in different traditions or whatever. But Baptist, mm-hmm. you, you wouldn't know it because y'all only hear of Southern Baptists, and they've now gone in a direction that is not traditionally Baptist. But in a traditional Baptist congregation, we have something called soul liberty and the priesthood mm-hmm. of all believers, and so there's this idea that um, you know, yeah, we don't we don't have creeds even. We don't even say the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't say any creeds because of that fear because it, and it, it's probably going too far the other way, but whatever, that's what we do because it does, um, preserve what you're saying. The, the individual's ability with, by, by the power of the Holy yeah. Spirit to discern God's yeah. will before someone yeah. telling you, well, if you're a Christian, cause I hear it every day. I mean, this, this article I just published is my religion better than yours. It got published in five or six yeah. different venues. Um, and my, very brave friend at Asbury Theological Seminary, which is a very conservative um, seminary i don't know why, but he published it on his Facebook page. I hope he's not fired, but um anyway <laughs> um, and then immediately you know someone wrote back and just you know lit into you know how I'm not me, Jamie you know I'm not a Christian, and you know I don't uh-huh. care about the Bible and all of that because I think that I um, don't believe in Jesus you know, Buddhist right, yeah. and Islam yeah. might have actually something to teach me. I'm not saying I want to go become a Buddhist or need to become Muslim, but I actually yeah. do believe that I am called to conversation because I literally do believe they have something to teach me. <laughs> you know, and that does not make me less of a Christian, you know, but to, no, to this person of course it did. So yeah, you know, yeah. obviously people are very happy to go around telling each other you're not a Christian. Or you are a if Christian. you don't believe this way or something right like that. and that's why i think matthew is so suspicious because that's exactly the problem with the pharisees which by the way i'm a pharisee most days of the week so i understand that i am one <laughs> um, but that is the actual problem they've got all these rules they read the bible they throw the bible mm-hmm. at everybody you know and all yeah. they do is add more burdens to people whose shoulders yeah. are yeah. already slumped and exhausted yeah. and they just add more stuff on where's the mercy well, you know. Doesn't Paul say if it weren't for the law, you wouldn't have sin? Yeah, you right, Romans like 7, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so um, so I agree with you. You don't want to get into that either. So this is why I think, Matthew, um, You know, my students and I have just been really fascinated. There's passages that just keep coming up for us. Um, and we start every class. I don't know how you, you guys are do, using covenant, so this kind of thing will be built in for you. But um, we start every class with what I call Matthewan Moments. And that is to say, so since I've seen them last, the question we begin with is, how has this text intersected with your life since I saw you last? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a way of getting in the habit of, you know, just looking at the world through Matthew for these three months, you know, next semester yeah. maybe something else. But right now we're just all about Matthew. That's it. Um, and so, you know, what are your um, Matthewian moments, um, yeah. What That's is that helpful. word? Mathian?
4: Yeah, the math,
2: so it's like the word Having Matthew. to do with Matthew? Yeah, I if you take the W off and add an A, and yeah. it's just the adjective. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. yeah it's like Johannine. Yeah. yeah, so we just call them, you know, when when I teach John, honestly, I call them Johannine moments, which I do more than, yeah. than teaching Matthew. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, but, so the students and I, you know, um, it's interesting, so we keep finding some passages really recurring out in our lives when we're away from each other. And one of them, Mm -hmm. interestingly, is that in 721 where he says, where Jesus says, um, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who Mm -hmm. does the will of my Father in heaven. On that Mm -hmm. day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name, do many deeds of power in your name, and I'll declare to you I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. And so all through Matthew, he's so concerned about the fruits. What are the fruits? Mm-hmm. All he wants to do, mm-hmm. well, the way I said to my students the first day, and that now they repeat it back um, to me, as I said this, and this may be an overstatement, but I don't think it is. And Matthew loves overstatements, so it's fair of me to do this. <laughs> um, um, you know, I said he does, Matthew, what Matthew wants to do is he wants to follow you around for a week, He doesn't want you to say a single word. He's going to follow you around for a week. He's going to look at you. He wants access to your finances. He wants to watch how you spend your time and how you spend your money. And then after the week, Matthew will tell you what you believe. So you don't need to say what you believe. Matthew will tell you what you believe after one week of shadowing you with no words. (laughs) You know?
4: Um,
2: So, yeah, I, I see why. Hi, yeah, um, Iris, um, I'm,
5: I'm cutting I have out. a
4: question.
5: Can everybody hear me? Hello? Sure. Yes, okay. go ahead. Yes. Um, yeah, this is Iris. I have a question about living in community now that the community is the whole world. Um, uh-huh. And the term church, two thoughts. Um, one is that a church does not a community make. I know you can go to church and just mm-hmm. go, you know, once a week for your mm-hmm. hour or your two hours a week, and maybe yeah. say hello to yeah. one or two people, and um, come on And maybe, and maybe never see them again, you know. Mm-hmm. Or you could actually have fellowship and um, attend each other's weddings and have dinners, and actually, like these are your friends, really a family. That's a community. So. Mm-hmm. Um, if, so just having a church building with services is not a community. So I don't think you can, you know, ask that group of people that get together twice a week to um, practice Mythean, um I don't know, principles, because they don't have any relationship to each other except that they're in the same building. But if the church is global, and if Mm -hmm. the Christ salvation is not personal, but it's understood and can only be understood as universal, then don't we need to be exploring um, what would be like Matthew 2015? (laughs) And what would we be writing if we were writing... The Gospel today, and our neighbor is in Thailand, and they 're Buddhist, but I still think that they're they're in the fold because even said oh. there I have people that are not in the fold, so the same principles would still apply, but you know um, how would we apply the matthew code I, I see i don 't think it's translatable um, it 's anachronistic in so many ways now to even try to um, say we're going to practice. The, you know <coughs> what I mean. I'm saying yeah. I'd love to, but I don't think that it's possible if we broaden our concept of what real community is. And I'm saying community, mm-hmm. not church.
1: Yeah. Um, what do you th- What do you think, Jamie? Uh,
2: well, I think yeah. I think all opinions are are interesting ones in here, and I think we all have have different experiences. I think. um this is where I think, I know you're going to get into Covenant later, so I don't want to jump the gun, but I think you hit upon something really important, and that is to ask ourselves, so where we do find community? I also feel bad, Richard. I, I got all hyped or whatever about Matthew, and someone, I think I made someone leave. She said she was cutting out and said it was ominous. I do not mean to sound ominous. I think Matthew is gospel and good news. Um, so in case I made Jamie, I didn't Jamie, Jamie, yeah. I
4: didn't mean to cut out. I didn't meant to cut out. I just thought I was going to go muted because someone else wanted. Oh
2: good! Cut out. Oh my gosh! It was, I was nothing like, to oh do my oh with nothing you said. That's going to crush I'm my soul now. all I'm night if now. I lost
4: somebody. Um, no, no, no. Oh gosh! Okay. I was like, that's just me getting I, amped. I, am, I will. I'll, say, tell I'll just you say
2: you. I'm muting. <laughs> oh, no, got it. Okay. I was like, oh no, come okay. back. Um I'm back. No, so I will. I do have to. I do have to say from the outset on this conversation that Matthew, um, I'm teaching Matthew as a spiritual discipline, um, uh-huh. honestly, because someone who was very near and dear to me years ago at Perkins passed away, um, and he, Matt, and he was a wonderful human being, and he loved the gospel of Matthew. And we used to always go back and forth because, obviously, I love the gospel of John, and Matthew can be, as you said, ominous. I mean, I get it. I get what he's doing, and it's gospel, and it's God with us, and it's life-giving, and I love it. But the packaging sometimes, uh, you know, yeah. is a little intense. You know, chop off your arms, your eyes cause you to sink, gouge it out. You know, yeah. all the kind of <laughs> weeping and gnashing of teeth, I mean, cast into outer darkness. I and mean, we don't have any hell in the Gospel of John anywhere. we got no, no hell. we got no weeping and gnashing mm-hmm. of teeth, none of that. So, you know, Matthew's got his own kind of intense ways of mm-hmm. uh, stating the case that I find, like you said, uh, sometimes like, you know what, I want you to help me be a disciple, but I'm not inviting you to my next party because I don't (laughs) think you're a party kind of guy. And you're going to be judging me the whole time. And no. Um, So anyway, but to get back to the other question about community, um, so it's just a really, really big deal to me. And so I would ask um, the person who asked the question um, with a delightful, I totally agree with you about um, needing to be more global in every sense of the word, um, but where you find community What makes it community, and how is it sustained? Um, Because the thing about where you said you only come to church once or twice a week. I mean, I have multiple communities. I actually have multiple spiritual communities, I would say. I have my church, Royal Lane Baptist, that I go to on Sundays. And I don't go, I never go more than twice a week, for real. Um, And I actually do feel a deep sense of community there. Uh so I'm not really I I do agree that just because you go to church is not a community you have to you have to make the effort it seems to me to create community and part of that means building relationships of trust and I think that can only be done in terms of sharing life and sharing one's hopes and fears and you know what's wonderful you know and where you saw God this week and where you felt desolate um, and so I don't know if people normally have that in church. That's kind of what we do, like in Sunday school, especially before church. And a small—it has to be done, I think, in a small group setting, which is where I think the covenant Bible study or anything like that, any kind of small group setting that allows people to share life. I mean, the real life, like the kind of kind you would share in the bar, not you know the kind you would share just in front of a librarian. You know, oh, sorry, there's librarians, but I'm thinking of judgy people. I know there's librarians in the group, (laughs) my Sillamar group. Um, You know, whatever. People, you know what I mean?
1: I'll I'll stop there. Jamie, maybe this is a good time to make that turn towards talking about covenant a little bit here as an illustration of um, a Bible study that prompts the right type of questions. Um, in, In my experience there's often been a um, sense in approaching the Bible of trying to find the right answers. What are God's rules? What is the What are God's plans? And um, if I can recite them, um, then I, I've, I've got them. And you were just talking a moment ago about how you pro- probe your students to find their own experience with a text, mm-hmm. which I presume maybe he has them approaching it with... Um, Awe and wonder sometimes instead of certitude and um, legalism. Is that, is, that a, is that fair maybe?
2: It is because I think we talk a lot about relationships and, and one of those relationships is the relationship of the community when we gather together to study, right? Because they don't actually need me. Just to know stuff about the Gospel of Matthew, they truly do not have to drive from these vast distances that they drive to come to class. Um, they don't actually need me. To know information about the Gospel of Matthew, there's so much stuff available. I could give you a bibliography. And by the way, on a side note, I do have a number of resor- a few resources I would recommend, but I can send those to you, Richard, in an email. Sure. Um, tools and resources that y'all might might like. But anyway, to me, it's all about relationship. So it's our relationship with Christ, you know, our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, but also our relationship with the text. And to me, again, I do see the text. You know, when I, when I personally, Jamie, um, you know, come to the text, I really, on my best days, expect to meet God and meet the resurrected Christ there. And that may be a word of comfort, you know, a word of challenge, a word of command, um, but I definitely expect, um, you know, it's not, it's not a cadaver. You know, as I said to the students last week, we're, we're not in the business of dissecting a cadaver when we come to our scriptures. So this is a living word for living people. Um, so creating that relationship with the text. And again, if you think of Jesus walking around with the disciples, right? he didn't just give them a list of rules. He, he actually created a relationship. I mean, it went to great lengths, right, to, to show love. And that's exactly the relationship I see. That's what we're doing with the text, creating a relationship and a conversation right? I mean, the text kind of, you know, questions us about our life, and then we question the text, and then it questions us, and then we question it back. And sometimes we read resistantly. So, for instance, the essay I just published that we were talking about is My Religion Better Than Yours. It's a passage out of Hebrews. You know, and what I say in there is the ethical reading for a Christian of some of the stuff in Hebrews that I talk about is resistant reading. In other words, the students and I learn about strategies of reading. You don't read every text the same way, and as one of your, one of the callers said brilliantly, look, we live in different time, different place. So you, it's a constant, a constant um, process of discernment about how those texts speak to us today, right? Because they speak in different times. I mean, you know, "slaves obey your masters," right? Spoke in one way for most of human history. <laughs> and now we say we get what they were trying to do, but no. You know, that's not actually ethical. That The author is actually perpetuating an unethical system there, you know. Um, but the thing is, the thing we can't do, I would say, or, or shouldn't do, is just ignore it or skip over the parts we don't like or the parts that we assume on at first blush don't speak into our experience because i often find myself surprised i mean as did the students by the way a few weeks ago when we read you know slogged through the genealogy of as matthew turns out the genealogy is like a microcosm of the whole gospel you know it just looks like a list of names but it's not (laughs) you know um so yeah, to me, it's it's not about just discerning propositions. It's it's really about creating a relationship with the text, a back back and forth, a friend, really a friendship, a friendship with the text. And friendships, you know, you love the advice of your friends, and sometimes you push back.
1: Maybe you can e- explore because um, for all of you who are listening in too, uh, our community wanting to go deeper, deeper always in both um, the text uh, and also the living word. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're starting, making a six- to seven-month commitment here to work through the Covenant Bible study. And can you explain a little bit, since you were so uh, much involved as a New Testament editor on this, what exactly uh, this study is all about and how it tries to, um approach the bible as you've been describing.
2: Yeah. Yes, yeah, so so again, since everything I've just said and and exactly, I'm the New Testament editor for Covenant, so it's not going to be surprising that some of the same things are going to be said. It's why I signed on to the project because what Covenant is trying to do is form um form Christian community and make disciples, mature disciples, right? Which um anyway, so some of the things I love um about Covenant um is that it's got well, a number of things, but I like the aspect of it. It has personal work for each person to do, right, with respect to Scripture, especially like the meditations and, and all of that, which you guys are experts at, Christian scientists, you guys. The one thing I've learned about you all, you are really good at prayer and, you know, that personal work. So um, um, one of the many things I admire about you Um Anyway, so I like that it's got the personal element when you're not gathered together. I like, but I also like that it has um, the group work um, and allows, again, for building of community so that the texts really do, they're not just an interesting thing that happened in the first century or whatever, but they really are, it really is a living word speaking to a living community. So I also love that it always ends on service, right? So Covenant's idea is, if we're tr- and Matthew's idea too, by the way, Right, Matthew 25, right? Matthew doesn't care what you believe, or you like clothing people, feeding them. So I like that covenant always has its aim. Now that we've met Christ, now that we've met God, what difference might it make? How will it show up in our love of God through love of neighbor? And I just think that consistent theme um, um, is there. And I, so I, yeah. and I also love the fact, by the way, that even if people, because some people are only able or wanting to do, say, one of the three segments, the 24 weeks. And so I like, even if people, you really should do all three because they build on each other. Um, but I do like that even if you just pick one section, you're always getting Old Testament and New Testament, right? Because some programs, you have to be like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> we got to go through three quarters of the year. You're going to see my bias here for a minute. we got to go through three quarters of the year until we get to the New Testament, you know? Um uh, spoken by a New Testament <laughs> professor. Um, I like this one because in every segment of it, you get Old Testament and New Testament. So again, I, all about connection, personal connection, connecting one part of Scripture to another. Um, yeah, I think it's brilliant, and it it just does a lot of the kinds of stuff I like to do and aim to do in my own class. You know, at the end of the day, I want us all to know and be known, and you know. Um, or have lives that obviously are more reflective of the fruits of the spirit to love and be loved and you know and finally as i always tell my students you know finally to be brave you know brave enough to be fools for Christ's sake so i think covenant can help make us brave i mean any good bible study can group bible study i think can make us brave enough to be fools for the sake of Christ
1: it It is interesting in in doing some of my uh, background work on Covenant when I first came across it, about the time it was released, uh, what, about 16 months, 17 months ago? Mm -hmm. Uh, um, Some of the initial critiques were were also there about the translation that you've chosen as your preferred, the uh, common English version, that you didn't tie up things with neat bows. You didn't come to set conclusions sometimes when texts had more openness to mm-hmm. them. And those who are seeking, um, you know, a concreteness of a specific meaning, or this is, this is what it means, you all must agree to this, they're probably going to be troubled by that. But can you say a little bit about the preferred uh, Bible for this? This is not a tr- requirement, by the way, for any of you to participate no. in this Mm-mm. study. But... Right we'll see the Common English Bible uh, version, I should say, referred to. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, sure. So the Common English Bible, I didn't participate in the translation of it um, myself, but uh, certainly my students, it's one of the translations they use. So um, translations, obviously, uh, language is always changing, right? And we're always, um, yeah, yeah, language is always changing. So this translation uh, aims to be, more accessible in some ways. It is an actual translation. It's not a paraphrase like the Living Bible would be, um, but it uses um, language that I think would, would be more um, recognizable. I mean, it's, it's language like we would use today um, more. It has other features to it that I also like. I'm a lot, and it's, it is done by scholars, by the way. I want to make that clear. It's a translation done by biblical scholars. Um, but it's also they also had real live readers, normal people, um, t- uh, tied with the, you know, with the scholar to make sure that it was, you know, accessible. Um, but they do things, for instance, like, um, you know, I work highly in the area of disability these days. One thing I appreciate about CEB is it uses what we all know now is better language. Um, we just didn't think about this before. Um, well, at least able-bodied people did it. Um, to go around calling people the blind, the lamed, the lame, the paralyzed, the deaf, the mute, right? And so you'll notice in the CEB um, it's subtle, but it makes a really big difference um, to some people. You know, to say, the man who is blind, you know, the person who is paralyzed, the person who is deaf. Um, so it's taking into consideration, um, yeah, language. The scholars all worked from the original text, Hebrew and Greek, um, but they really are putting it into language that is accessible for modern English speakers um, with attention to things like that, person-first language. and and all of that, so yeah, it's good. I mean, yeah, of course. With every, there's no translation. You could you could mention any translation to me. I, you know, I the CEB is great. I use the New RSV a lot, and I have I have, you know, I will will always take issue with something in some translation because that's the nature of translation. Um, so yeah, my students like it a lot, and especially my students who work with youth. Um, well, it was
1: it was written at a level to yeah. both. Mm-hmm. um convey an openness to the relationship rather than to simply a set body of knowledge you have to commit to. But also the language is isn't it written at a at a, at a what level is it written at?
2: Um, I don't remember. Is it like maybe sixth or something? I don't I, know. I thought
1: I'd read fifth fifth grade maybe,
2: maybe fifth sixth. fifth or sixth. It's the same thing that newspapers are written at. So in other words, they take the scholar's kind of stuff and they run it through a machine and it tells you what grade level it is. So it really is, it's very, I think it's incredibly inviting. You know, I think it's a really inviting translation. Um, And again, once people start digging in and doing intense Bible study, they have multiple translations open anyway. Um, So what, you know, people will complain. Some people, you know, don't like, for instance, the Son of Man, what's normally translated Son of Man in, say, the new RSV you know, is translated as son of the human one in the CEB. Well, I mean, the word behind that is anthropos, which is person. It's not man. Man is on air. So literally son of, you know, the person, the human one. Um, But people would say that doctrinally that's an issue um, because it obviously, anyway, that it doesn't show the link with Daniel or something. So anyway, I mean, there's always going to be, you know, um arguments, but the sum of the humor I also like it when a translation um, it's good to read different translations because you get used to hearing the same thing and it you're not as surprised by the text. I think it's a really good habit to check out a you know a different translation and see if it you know shows you
1: a new angle on the text. Oh Jamie, that's so helpful, so helpful. as has this whole conversation been um, just want to thank you on behalf of the community for the time. Uh, and the heart—not just of this phone call, but that mm. that's behind all this, of a life that's uh, given, such as yours has been. Um, well, we're,
2: we belong to each other now. You're my people. I'm your people. The <laughs> hospitality and love—it's this. I love it so, and I love also. People should feel free if they're interested, um, uh, you know, to friend me on Facebook or whatever. I know a lot of folks from Stillamore. I get to stay in touch with them, and um, through Facebook, and you know. People praying for me, like y'all did this summer, you know, praying for me. And anyway, I feel so honored and loved but to be part of the you guys' community,
1: you know. It's just so welcoming. Thank you, Jamie. Yeah, I would, I would encourage you following your Facebook posts and, and, and your thoughts have been very helpful for so many of our folks, and myself included. Um, we're going to invite Amy Lynn to come back on now and uh, lead us through some announcements and some closure and... Uh, we do try to keep this uh, uh, at about an hour. And, uh, again, the thoughts you've shared will go much further and much longer with us. Thank you again, Jamie.
0: You're welcome. Thank, thank you, for Jamie. Thank you, Richard. And thank you to each of you for participating and coming and joining us this evening. Before we close our gathering tonight, I'd like to invite you to join me for just a few moments of silent reflection. What are the takeaways? from the conversation tonight that you will carry with you into your day tomorrow? How will you pray with your feet? How will you be that active Christian versus the silent one in the corner of the room? Just a few moments of quiet, silent reflection. Afterwards, we'll have a few announcements before we let you go. evening we've been able to share this evening, and we look forward to having you with us here again next month. Mark your calendars for November 17th, as our very own sister, Mindy Montgomery, will join us as our guest presenter. We sure hope that you'll tell your friends about these fireside discussion telegatherings. Dick, would you like to share some of the details about the upcoming Covenant Bible study?
1: Sure. I, I think all of you will be receiving an email tomorrow morning, um looking at the uh, some details about the covenant series it will launch a week from this thursday and the first unit will be eight lessons uh, we expect to do the second and third units in the winter and spring of 2016 um and there's a a workbook you would purchase directly from Cokesbury who's been an amazing partner and developing this, we're doing something kind of new and different and working through a new virtual video way of doing our teleconference. Um, And uh, you can find out more about that, but we'll be watching the videos uh, online together uh, each uh, week that we meet. Um, It's just a very exciting idea of helping each person go deeper into having that kind of relationship with the text with the Inspired Word, capital W, that moves behind all the texts, the the work of of Christ through Scripture, uh, and do it in a very individualized way, that at at the same time invites us to a community, both with God and each other, this idea of a covenant. Uh, The three units are creating the covenant, living the covenant, trusting the covenant. And as Jamie mentioned, it will include Old Testament, New Testament passages at every turn. We'll read a good part of the Bible together. Uh, and I think it will be a, a wonderful deepening uh, for this. And we have the capacity to take a lot of people into these virtual discussions. Uh, again, thanks to Amy Lynn's work and the excellent work of the folks at Cokesbury who published um, the, uh, the study. So again, look in your box tomorrow. You'll get more details. But we hope you'll, uh, you'll be joining us.
0: Thank you, Richard. A quick closing note this evening directed at each of you. Please allow us to take a moment to express our gratitude here at the BSL community, the back office, if you will, for your love and support of our growing community. Whether, you have, whether what you have to offer is showing up and sharing insights and questions or you're able to offer one-time or recurring financial support, We're humbled and we're deeply inspired by your willingness to continue to show up with such strength and grace for yourselves and for each of us. We invite you to visit us at www.bibleandspirituallife.org as together we search and know the written word of the scriptures, but more importantly, come to understand and follow the living word at work throughout the Bible and our lives. We wish you a wonderful evening. Be sure to check your inbox for a recorded audio link as well as the information about the upcoming Covenant Bible study. Big love to all. We'll see you soon.